This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve. I'm your host, Erin Benziger. Thanks for tuning in today. Believe it or not, we have actually reached December of 2020, the strangest year in my history, and probably most of yours as well, at least on a global scale. I think to call 2020 the worst year ever is probably not accurate for everybody, so I don't plan to do that because it hasn't been that terrible of a year, at least from my perspective. It's just been very odd. God is certainly working. Um, He is still on his throne. He is sovereign. He has ordained everything that has happened and will continue to do so. So at the end of the day, there really is no reason for us to fret, but we do it anyway because we are human. We live in these circumstances, temporary though they may be, and sometimes they get a little scary. And so here we are at the end of the year, kind of probably hoping that 2021 will be better, but um, I don't have high hopes for that. So that just means that we need to remember to place our hope, our ultimate hope, in the Lord Jesus Christ and to keep looking up for his return. And that takes us into our topic for this week and for the next couple of weeks as we enter the Christmas season or the Advent season, if you will. What I want us to focus on is Advent, is that first coming of Christ, which by looking at that, we also look forward more further to his second coming. And so what got me thinking about this this year is as the season approached, I started thinking about Advent wreaths because I think it's kind of a dying tradition. Now, when I was growing up, we always had the Advent wreath in church, but I attended mainline denomination churches. And then I grew up and things changed and the churches I attended like completely ignored Advent altogether. It was like, there's no mention of it. Like it's evil. Don't talk about Advent. Well, that's where my problem is. So I feel like Advent wreaths and even the concept of Advent, like I said, I think it's dying as a tradition. Um, And I kind of have a problem with that. Not necessarily that we need to all uh, light an Advent wreath. I'm not saying that. But I think Advent as a season is actually really important. And it kind of makes me sad when churches ignore it. Um, It's okay to deviate from your sermon, your expositional series through whatever book you're preaching through. It's okay to deviate from that for four weeks to preach on Christ. Like, that's okay. So if your pastor needs permission to preach on Christ, here it is. Not that I'm anybody to give permission, but seriously, I don't understand. Um, You don't necessarily have to follow um, what each of the candles in an Advent wreath would mean. You don't have to light the Advent wreath. You don't have to do any of that. You can just 
throw the wreath in the trash if you want to. But I started thinking about the Advent wreath and kind of wanted to know more about it because as a kid, I didn't pay any attention. You know, they just, the acolyte would light the candle at church or maybe it was a family would come up and light the Advent candle. Now I don't remember. Now I'm curious. I wish I could remember. Anyhow. Um, so I started looking into that. You know, what does each candle mean? I think it's kind of a cool practice. I kind of like it. What I don't understand is some churches may not teach this, but it's kind of assumed or implied in their teaching of other things that traditions such as that lighting and advent wreath are bad because they're traditions and they're done in the mainline denominations. Well, I hate to break it to you, but there are saved people in the mainline denominations. So shocker, I know, um, but tradition doesn't have to be bad. Just because it's not prescribed in the Bible doesn't mean it's condemned either. Um, the Bible is silent on things like Advent reads. So if you, if you want to start this tradition with your family, I think it'd be great. I'm thinking about doing it next year. Last year, I wanted to do it this year, and this year has been so topsy-turvy it did not happen. So I'm kind of hoping for next year. But anyway, now I'm rambling. So Advent is as we already kind of touched on, it means an arrival or a coming. So in the weeks leading up to Christmas, we're anticipating Jesus' first Advent, his first coming. And of course, we're looking back on it. But this Advent season is a time to reflect on that, to reflect on what God did in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to earth. And of course, as Christians, as we already said, we're longing for and highly anticipating, I hope, his second coming, his second Advent. So, the Advent wreath, again, very prominent in mainline denominations. When I say that, I'm talking about, you know, the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, I'm sure maybe the Episcopal Church does that as well. Perhaps even the Catholic Church, I don't know, which of course is a whole other story, so I'm not equating that with anything, but that doesn't make it evil. Um, and when you stop and think about what it symbolizes and what each candle symbolizes, it's really kind of neat, quite honestly. So... Um, first of all, think of the wreath, circular, right? So there you have that kind of concept of eternity, which a, a circle is often used to symbolize that. And wreaths also have a connotation of victory from past history. Um, you know, the victory wreath at, at the end of a race or whatever. Uh, the candles in the wreath, you may see um, either four or five total candles, um, some churches combine the first and second candle, um, so they would only have four total, and and others would have five total. So you'll have three to four circle uh, candles in a circle, in the circle on the wreath, and then one candle in the center. So that first candle is known as the candle of hope. The second candle, which is sometimes combined with the first candle, um, I've, I've seen it noted as the candle of peace and the candle of preparation. And then the third candle is the candle of joy. And that is often a different color. Usually the candles around the wreath are purple, except the candle of joy would be pink. The fourth candle would be the candle of love. And then the center candle, which is usually white, is the Christ candle. So we have hope, preparation, or peace, joy, love, and the Christ candle, okay? And so 
what I wanted to do is in the episodes leading up to Christmas here in 2020, I wanted us to focus each time on one of those concepts. And we'll have to combine a couple along the way because I didn't plan appropriately. So, um, so we're already a week into Advent when this first episode is airing. So we're going to combine the first two here today. So first of all, think of that candle of hope, ladies. God has kept so many of his promises, not just so many, every one of his promises, and he will continue to do so. The prophecies in scripture that have not yet been fulfilled, they will be fulfilled. And how can we know this? Because he has fulfilled, the ones that have been fulfilled have been fulfilled to the letter, right? Haven't they? Like exactly 100% to the letter. And this concept of hope is so huge um, in scripture and so huge in the life of a Christian. Actually, I think um, we should stop and do an entire episode just on hope, um, which we can't do today because we already have used up a lot of time. But perhaps that's something we'll do in the future. I know I've done an episode in the past, I think it was called Hopeology, but I would kind of like to go back and revisit um, with new sources and, and a new approach, a different um, kind of angle at that um, as we take a look at scripture and we take a look at what hope means in the scriptures for the Christian. But when I think of Advent and when I think of the coming of Christ and when I think of hope, I think of all those Old Testament people who longed for a Messiah. There was a promise that they would have a Messiah. And that's what this first Advent is about, right? And then you have that 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, right? And we always talk about it that way, where God was just seemingly silent. And then, bam, all of a sudden we have an angel visiting Mary, who's a virgin girl and saying, hey, you're going to have a baby. Good luck with that. And like, next thing you know, we have John the Baptist in the wilderness, um, you know, and Jesus is here and Jesus is on the scene after this time of silence. And so that hope has not been in vain. And so I think one of the most common verses we think of at this time of year is Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. And I'm reading from the ESV today, ladies. And those verses say this, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That was a promise that the people of the Old Testament clung to, that the, the people at the start of the New Testament were still clinging to, waiting for this one who would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's a hope in that when you hear those verses and you hear those promises and you're looking forward to that. And I also think of another common familiar verse from Hebrews, from the New Testament, Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith and hope go hand in hand. And I think that's important for us to remember. If you look through the Psalms, lady, you'll fi ladies, you'll find um, 
hope you'll find cries of hope. Um, I will hope in you continually verbiage like that. Hope is a key mark of the Christian. What are some other things that the, the earliest Christians, um, before they were called Christians, would have been looking forward to? What would have been some of those things they were hoping for? How about Jeremiah 33, verse 14? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And it goes on. A promise that the Lord will fulfill the promises that he has made to Israel and to Judah. So many Old Testament prophecies, ladies, that we can look toward and see how God fulfilled them in history. And those that have not yet been fulfilled will be fulfilled exactly, precisely, just as the others have been. And today we have a different kind of hope. We're not waiting for that unknown Messiah. We know who the Messiah is, and we're waiting for his promised return. And we're waiting for the promises to be fulfilled that he's promised us for eternity, that eternal inheritance that uh, Paul writes about in Ephesians 1. Uh, Paul also wrote in Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's a verse for today, isn't it? After this year and all that so many of us have been through, the sufferings of this present time, like whatever, you know, they, they're lousy in the moment for sure, most definitely. And there's no purpose in diminishing that, but they do not compare to the glory that will be revealed to us. And he goes on, he says, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. These are things we hope for. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so we have so many things that we are hoping for and longing for, and we know that they will come to fruition because the Lord has promised us that. And so that is the first candle, the candle of hope, sometimes called the prophecy candle, candle as well, and I think you can see why. And so very quickly, ladies, I'm going to cover the second candle as well today, and that is the candle of peace or preparation. Um, probably different denominations might kind of take that a different way, but um, both very apropos for um, the season of Advent. Preparation, we want to be ready for, for the Lord, for his coming. Help us prepare to welcome you, Lord. Um, and the, the idea of peace, isn't that why Jesus came? To bring peace. This time of year, we often see the peace on earth, or we hear uh, Luke 2 kind of quoted um, partially. Um, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace 
among men. But there's a little more to that verse. Um, and what I love about the idea of the second candle of peace is just what that means in the context of what Jesus did. So when Jesus showed up as the promised Messiah, the people of Israel, they were expecting a warrior or a political peacemaker. You know, they wanted someone to come in and free them from Roman rule and make everything hunky-dory here in this life. And Jesus didn't do that. He didn't come on a white stallion. He came on a donkey, came on a colt. Um, interestingly, at the start of his life and at the end of his life, because as we know, Mary rode that colt into Bethlehem, and then Jesus rode the donkey on um, Palm Sunday before he was crucified. And if you hear that bell, that's the jingle of producer Charlie saying Merry Christmas to you. And so I love this idea of peace. So Jesus came and he did bring peace just as was promised, but not the type of peace the people wanted or thought they needed. So here in Luke 2, uh, verse 8, ladies, if you'll turn there, and I know we've kind of been flipping all over. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The promise you've been hoping for has been fulfilled, in other words. Verse 12, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." Think about it. Jesus did not bring uh, political peace, but he brought peace, the peace we actually needed. Um, he brought us the opportunity to have peace with God and then to have peace with one another. That inner peace um, with, with him, with Jesus, with God, that ability to be reconciled to the Father because we desperately need to be reconciled because we are sinners we cannot save ourselves, but we can have peace with God because of Jesus. And because of that, the outworking of that, one practical outworking of that is peace with others around us. Um, that doesn't mean everything else goes great for us, but there's, um, there's a, a lifestyle um, that comes with being a Christian, just like hope is part of the Christian life. So is that peace and that wanting to live peaceably with others, and we're called to do that in Scripture as well, unless, of course, we're asked to do something against God's commands. And so we're running out of time for this particular episode, ladies, but what I would like to encourage you to do for homework um, is I would like you to go back and read Luke 1, because there's two songs in there that are really fantastic considering what we've been talking about. And that's Mary's Magnificat and Zechariah's prayer prophecy as well. And we see in that, that hope that we talked about. Um, we see the reality of that and what these people were longing for um, until Jesus appeared. So 
I encourage you to read that for homework. I encourage you to think as we embark on the season of Advent, we've already started, um, to, to spend some time thinking through what this really means. Um, as an endorsement today, ladies, I'm going to encourage you, again, we're already into Advent, so you probably, if you do Advent, you've probably already started something, but I do want to give you a couple of resources that are really, um, really nice um, devotionals for this time of year. The first is by Christopher Ash. It's called Repeat the Sounding Joy, and that's a daily devotional for this period of time here. I don't recall if it's 24 readings or exactly what that is, um, but it goes through Luke 1 and 2. So Christopher Ashes, um, a really wonderful um, preacher, and so I think you'll enjoy that book. Another is Sinclair Ferguson's Love Came Down at Christmas, and we're going to talk about that in a couple episodes, um, but that's another really fantastic resource for this time of year, an Advent devotional, and that actually walks through 1 Corinthians 13. So think about that, um, and I think you'll really enjoy it. I would encourage you to read those devotionals with your family if you don't have something to do already. And you know, it's still early. If you have Amazon Prime, just order one of those. You'll get it in a day or two, and you can catch up because the readings are short. It's not like a 500-page book, neither one of these. So, all right, ladies, and as a parting thought, again, I'm just going to, again, encourage you to reflect because it's a busy time and COVID-19 is not changing that. It's just as busy this holiday season as it always is and perhaps more distracting. And so reflect, take time, ask God to help you to take time to prepare for the celebration of his coming, his first coming, celebration of his first coming, and to help you greatly anticipate his second coming whenever that may be. All right, ladies, until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening.